I'm Dorianne Wheel. Welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. Welcome to another episode of Thrive with Dr. D. My great friend, my colleague, Dr. David Malapo, a respected mentor and advisor and a partner from the past. We've worked together and it was just wonderful, David, to know you were back and that you were here inspiring, sharing your wisdom in times of just unbelievable difficulty. And I guess my main questions to you are going to be in different kind of contexts and environments, given that the whole landscape has absolutely changed. Your lessons for thrival, not only survival, to keep yourself motivated, to be the best person that you can, how do those lessons that inspire so many millions, and I'm saying millions of people, all over the world apply today. And just to remind people, you do know David Malapo, anyone who has lived in South Africa, I'd say for the past about 15 years, David, you know, you exploded on the landscape as the founder of the ICANN Foundation, which is just a wonderful term that I know still exists. You've extended that foundation and your personal influence to many, many countries all over the world. You not only entice, but you collect people who gravitate towards you, most especially young people, to be influenced by not only what you say to them, but also the person that you are. Because you didn't always come from a place of future and a rosy future. You came from a tough place yourself. And you went through your own journey. And I know that part of that journey was actually spending a time, which turned out to be an important time in prison, where you went through a personal transformation, learned a lot of lessons, and now spend your life in developing those lessons and sharing them with everyone else. So before we talk about leadership in this current time and the future, just give us a little bit about how you got to where you are. First of all, thank you so much. It's always an honor and a privilege to be with my partner, Dorian, Dr. D from Positive Leap. Let me also say to uh, your listeners, you have been a tremendous blessing to me privately and publicly. I've gone through some serious challenges in my life. Your talk, your encouragement has just uh, given me hope. And again, I want to dedicate this talk particularly to you. Some of the people may not be aware of this, but just last uh, couple of weeks, I interviewed you, and then I'm going to still interview you in August, September, October. So really, you are a resource. Madiba Mandela was right. You really give us H-O-P-E, and I will close with that H-O-P-E acronym. But thank you so much for that question. I grew up uh, in South Africa, I'm from uh, uh, what we call a mixed uh, race. My mother is uh, so-called colored. My dad, a black man. So growing up in this country, I already had an identity crisis. I could never fit in. I was half of something. You know, I'm with the black people, I'm half this. I'm with the colored people, I'm half this. I'm with white people, I'm, I'm, I'm half this. So growing up was not easy because I allowed people to define me. And it is true that when people define you, they will confine you. 
I never had a, a, a self-belief. My self-esteem was messed up. Self-confidence was a mess. Until at the age of 13, 13, I got involved in politics and I found my voice because God gave me a gift of the tongue. I can communicate. At the age of 13, I commanded respect, you know, particularly with the ANC that time under SASO, the South African Student Organization. Obviously, uh, we were met with bullets that time. We had to do what we had to do. At the age of 13, I ended up as a customer of the South African police with free accommodation. It's a nice way to say I was in jail <laughs> in a place called Modabi, Modabi in the East Rand. Three months there, beaten, brutalized. And as you said, I had a, an encounter with God. I had a transformation in prison. I was released. And then the ruling party sent me to further my studies in maths and science. I finished high school here. I became a maths and science teacher in this country, one of the youngest, I might say. And then the ANC, through the United Nations Educational Training Program for Southern Africa, uh, Africans, got me a scholarship. And that's where I left this country and went to the United States. I pursued my political activism, finished my bachelor's degree in education, my master's degree, my first doctorate, my second doctorate in leadership. And then 1990, I met Nelson Mandela in Washington, D.C. My life changed. All he said was, it's time to go home. Yeah. So uh, 1990, I came back to South Africa and the rest is history. I've been blessed. I've been uh, the first black director of Dimension Data, Imperial Logistics, Clientele Life, Lexmark Holding. I even was a chairman of transformation for South African Airways and the list can go and on and on. But all those things are great, but the human part, and that is why I enjoy working with you because of your calling, is to inspire and able people. That is why my motto is very easy. Raising leaders, impacting nations. That's my motto in life. Raising leaders, impacting nations. It's a very lofty motto, very, very lofty especially under these times, you know, yeah. how with these challenges that people are going through. But I would just want to say that, it, that your story highlights, you spoke about confining, you know, I think you didn't mean confining in terms of being confined in prison. I think you meant confine in terms of belonging. Correct. You really needed to belong. And so you would do anything to just feel that you had a voice, that you were recognized, that you were part of a cause, that you were part of a group, that in your young mind and in your young life, at 13 years old, was part of a collective that had meaning. And you started getting that recognition. And I just would like to say that I believe that, e that, that even, the kind of embracing of that party, whatever you had to do at that young age, has taught you so much about the importance of belonging and the importance of meaning and the importance of recognition, all of these things you talk about now in relation to leadership and people finding their own voice. So what appeared to be perhaps a very difficult history turned out, and that is what you do, you know, you look at things and you decide that you're not letting any lessons go to waste. Not at all. You're going to harness those lessons to improve yours and everyone else's future, you know, going forward. And you've been doing that ever since. 
So you came back and the power of the words, just that sentence, but from the consummate leader of all time, I think, who said to you, David, it's time to go home, just made you turn around and offer your skills and inspiration. So tell us about how you are managing to do that now, who you are doing it with in such an uncertain time where people are losing hope. I think my definition of leadership that I coined a couple of years ago is relevant even today. That a dynamic and effective leader is the person who will identify tomorrow's problems and solve them today. You identify tomorrow's problems and solve them today. You mentioned the organization I started was ICANN Foundation. But a couple of years ago, we added another company called ICANN4IR, the fourth industrial revolution. I could begin to see yeah, that things are now moving. And unfortunately, most leaders are still stuck. I call it, they are stuck in their Bura Vorsch role mentality. You know, I get all I can. I can all I get. I sit on my can. They are not futuristic. They're not futuristic. Remember, a dynamic, effective leader is the one that will identify tomorrow's challenges, tomorrow's problems, and solve them today. So when this pandemic started, fortunately for a lot of the younger generation, the mentees, they were ready because we're already moving into the digital space. My concern was the 80% of your corporate leaders, your government leaders, doing the same old thing, the same old way. And for them to embrace that change as leaders, it is difficult. And later on, I'll talk about what I'm teaching them on how to lead effectively. You know, this crisis, I actually like this because remember that a leader is not made in a crisis, but a leader is revealed in a crisis. Crisis has a tendency to reveal what's inside a leader. Because Dr. D, whether you like it or not, all of us, particularly leaders, we will be met with challenges because a life without a challenge is a life without strength. A life without a challenge is a life without substance. And a life without a challenge is a life without maturity. There is something about the crisis and the challenges of life that will make us strong, they'll make us leaders of substance, and they'll mature us. So that is the message that I've been preaching as if I'm a prophet, to say, folks, We've just come out of 2008, the great crash. It's a matter of time. Another bubble is coming. I do not even know it would have been a pandemic. I like how you put it when I interviewed you. That is no longer global warming, it's global mourning. See, I'm, I'm learning, woman. I'm learning from you. Learning from you. <laughs> so the, the whole thing is now, as leaders, how therefore now in this current situation, well, what must we do? And I use the acronym WATCH. The W says, watch the words that come out of your mouth. We need leaders that will affirm, first of all, themselves and affirm the people they lead. You've got to affirm people. And when you affirm people, you've got to be honest, open, and transparent with them. That's why I said your words must be hot, honest, open, and transparent. That means there will be difficult conversations out of your mouth. Some of you will lose your jobs. Some of you, you are going to experience what we call a new normal. Some of you, we may have to create some opportunities so that we do a social pact so that you can exit and become an entrepreneur or you can out. Words are important as a leader. 
Words of encouragement. Remember, encouragement is like oxygen to the soul. As a leader, watch what comes out of your mouth because words can heal or words can hurt. So, Dr. Malava, just before you go on to the next one, because I don't want to lose the question, how do you manage to do that? Because I think that this is incredibly important. The watch is the watch what you say, words of affirmation, words of encouragement. And you spoke about being absolutely honest and transparent. It's um, absolutely realistic so that people don't sense a gap between what you say and what you mean. How, before we move on to the A, how do, do leaders who are affecting other people and their lives manage to do that when they are not feeling on top of it and, and, and they're feeling overwhelmed sometimes themselves? How do they keep it going? Even the first one, which are the words of inspiration, affirmation. The word I'm looking for is authenticity. Authentic. I like that. I like that. Yeah. I actually, you've you've answered that. Authenticity means you you being authentic means you're real. As David Malapo, I run 16 companies. The last five months, no earnings because our business is the business of people. So the authenticity comes where you put yourself, you relate to people. I am going through this, but intentionally every morning, intentionally. I have made a decision to say, you know what? It's just part of life. Everybody's going through this, including me. But I've made a decision to watch what comes out of my mouth. Right. Remember, every morning as a leader, when you wake up, you are filled with choices, not chances. You choose to be positive to yourself and the words that, you will, the words that will come out of your mouth. So authenticity, meaning you share with the people like right now with an organization that's got unions they loved it you bring the union leaders together you open the books so that they can see that definitely the company is not making money people want you to be real you would be surprised when you are real the people you lead themselves will say listen let's now cut 40 percent of our salaries can we do this now suddenly they will assist you to make those tough decisions but again you cannot fake authenticity. You've got to be real. You've got to be real. Right. So you're talking about authenticity and transparency. And yes. in that way, you bring the people on board with you, you know, and they, they understand your decisions. They might not like your decisions. You might not like your decisions. But at least they understand the journey and are willing to come along with they. You hold their hand or you all hold hands together and they walk the path with you. So, so that's very valuable. What about the A? The A means you've got to watch your attitude. In difficult times as a leader, you've got to control your fears. Because if you do not control your fears, your fears will control you. Fear will paralyze you. Fear will jeopardize your intelligence. Fear will neutralize your creative juices. So you've got to maintain a positive attitude in the midst of all of this mess. Realize that no season is permanent. A season is just that a season. Winter is not a year. Winter is a season. The same thing with this pandemic. It's not a year. They may try the vaccine, the mask, wash your hands, all of those things, but no difficult chapter is permanent. 
every difficult chapter has an expiry date. So you've got to have this positive attitude. What, what do I mean? Put this challenge in a proper perspective. Every turbulence, you can put them into a proper perspective because when you put into a proper perspective, then it improves that positive attitude so that you have positive words, then that positive attitude is saying, yes, things are tough. Yes, I must still be human because I'm a card-carrying member of the human race, but I must still maintain that positive attitude. And I believe as leaders, if you do that, even the way you walk, positive leaders with positive attitude, they are always accessible. You keep on that active external presence. In difficult times, you've got to be able to be accessible. You lead by walking around. You, you're able to encourage people, continue to have that positive attitude. They know you are going through a difficult time, but that positive attitude means, listen, it's a difficult chapter, but this chapter, this too shall come to pass. Yeah. You know, as you talk like this in such, you know, there is no gap with you between what you say and who you are. There's never a feeling of, is he really walking the talk? I'm just reminded that again with you, Dr. Malapo, we did, I think, 26 episodes at one stage of that television series together. We were the double D. You know, it was an interesting combination. And all throughout, what I'm being reminded of and what is touching me listening to you is your own authenticity and transparency without a doubt. And that's what makes people want to follow you. And, you know, because this week we celebrated what would have been the 102nd birthday, I think, of Madiba, who you've been speaking about. You know, I just remember speaking to one of his very, very close comrades and someone who was in the struggle more than once, and it was Ahmed Kathrada. And what he used to say when I said, how did you get through that? I mean, here we're we talking about a pandemic that has been in our lives, you can say, for right just about six months. You know, how did you get through that time in the country? And I remember that he used to say, even in Robben Island, we were fighting the struggle collectively, together, but just from a different place. It never was if they were not continuing to fight the struggle. It was from a different place. And it was Sigmund Freud who turned around and said, you know, when someone said to him, what would you say about happy, healthy people? Never mind all this writing about psychotic, neurotic, crazy and dysfunctional people. One of the things that he said is that they all have something to look forward to. And he was talking about this optimism and hope that you have to see the light at the end of the tunnel that isn't always the lights of an oncoming train. And as you say in your words, it's a season, it's a time. It's not that we're not recognizing the difficulty that we're going through, but there's an inner belief that this too shall pass. And then we need to talk about how we make it pass, not that we can accelerate the process of the virus or the vaccine, but how do we navigate the landscape together, the power of that belonging that you spoke about, the support, and the other thing that I don't want to lose that you've said is the recognizing of the difficulty, not denying it, the recognizing it, but still believing that there is a different kind of future, incredibly important. 
So thank you. So after the A comes the T. Watch your words, watch your attitude, leading difficult times, watch your thoughts. This is the greatest problem. And as a psychologist, you know what it is. You know, I remember in 1993 when uh, we nearly had a civil war in this country. People were, were saying, listen, we are all done. There is no way we can make it to 1994. You still remember, I kept on saying I can. Then spend more time with the young people. Because the young people were not going to school, burning things, whatever. And then, again, the phase passed. Thinking, think big, think creatively, think positively. Even what I saw during this last six months in this country, to look at our white brothers and sisters, who they themselves are struggling, but putting some money into organizations to feed the people, to give people masks, to give people sanitizers, going to the schools, giving PPE to the principals. I'm thinking, you know what? With all this negativity, there are some people who are still thinking positively even during this time. And that's what I want to challenge the leaders, that in difficult times, this is a way. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I know you need to do cost cutting, but do intelligent cost cutting. Think about the people. When I was a director of Dimension Data, remember that dot coms became dot bombs. We lost a lot of money. At one time, the stock market was like this. It, I mean, it, it went all the way down. We had to retrench people. We had to lay over people. And I remember I had to now do inspirational sessions to those people who were going to be laid off. And again, the T, I kept on saying, even though, you know, we're going to retrench you, but still do not give up hope. Continue to think positively. There is something good that can come out of this. In my book, Taking Charge, in times of challenge, there is a statement I say that life is like a ship that is tossed and driven, padded by an angry sea. When the storms and the difficulties of life come, I must say to myself, think big, think positive, because there will be a way somehow. Watch your thoughts. Sure. So you're saying again, there always is a way and how you respond you know, I understand what you're saying. Please correct me if I haven't got this quite right. That your beliefs, in other words, your thoughts, your beliefs create your actions. And your actions create your results. And those results, when stretched over a lifetime, can become your destiny. So the power of what you think will motivate how you act and how you feel. Your thoughts might create your feelings and then your actions follow from that. So if you find ways to keep those thoughts future directed with an optimistic worldview, knowing that we've got to weather these turbulent seas, that affects how you're going to act in yourself, with your families, in the workplace, with your company. And that's contagious, that kind of leadership is contagious. I want to ask you something before we go on to the C part of it. A lot of people have said, you know, nothing joins people more than a shared emotional event. You can get a positive emotional event. Like, for instance, do you remember the day not so long ago when we won the World Cup and we saw, you know, that, that kind of sense of collective pride? No one really cared on that day what gender you were, what race you were, you know, 
we were just united together in pride and unity in being South Africans. Perhaps the biggest moment in that history was during that transition period, you know, when we witnessed that together and the country came together and all those predictions, you were talking about it later, of war and devastation and so on never happened. There was that collective positive unity. People also say that you understand that kind of collectiveness in the face of adversity as well. So the fact that, you know, we may not all be in the same boat in this country, we are in different boats, but nevertheless, we're in the same storm. So this pandemic has an effect very differently, very differently on many different people, but still has an effect. And to me, what you're saying on the positive side of it is perhaps we're becoming a little bit more mindful participants of the human race. So we look around us and we're saying everybody has been affected by this. I loved what you said, a card-carrying member of the human race. I'm going to quote that one, okay? I really want that one. I want that one. And I will will attribute you for it. But we are all a card-carrying members of the human race, which in times like this make us more united and hopefully also more responsible. That you know, this Ubuntu, yes, good, that has characterized our nation, this interdependence of people, and I am because of you are who you are, may be playing out in people stepping up in terms of services, in terms of resources, in terms of help, in terms of support. It's been amazing that seeing that, yes, and you did refer to that. So, do you think that that positive effect? that we've had about recognition of other people and and concern is going to be sustainable. Sometimes people can get uh, tired, there's fatigue, but again, I'm encouraged to see pocket of excellence in that area. Because at the end of the day, you can sit at home, have a pity party, self-party, a self-pity, but there is something in the human race. It does something to you when you begin to think about other people. Because when you start thinking about other people, you begin to thank God for what you have. When you start thinking about other people, you begin to thank God for what little you have. When you get out of that Bura Vos role mentality, get out of your kind of like your comfort zone and begin to see that a 20 rand, a maize meal, a cabbage can mean life and death to another person. Maybe that is a blessing in that crisis. I think you used to teach us long time ago, Dr. D, you used to say that in a crisis, there's a risk, but there are also opportunities. So yes, this pandemic is messing us up, but the positive side of it, imagine particularly religious people. Some of them used to only fellowship alone. Now with this pandemic, suddenly people are now fellowshipping together. Forget about the differences. We are now talking about when we pray, we pray together. When we break bread, we break bread together. When there is a particular issue, now gender-based violence, hunger, suddenly we are all together. Again, is it maybe this a blessing, the positivity that comes out of this crisis? Remember sometimes to get the sweet smell of a rose, you must crush it first. Sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes, to get the sweet smell of the rose, you've got to crush that rose first. So when you crush it, still think something good is going to come out of this. Then you make a conscious decision. 
that I'm going to think about things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are good, things that are bringing good reports. You are not negating those negative things. They're already there. But we are bombarded by things that will make us to think negatively. You also taught us a couple of years ago about this thing of the human mind, that there is this logical side that operates when things are going well, but it becomes stagnant when there is a challenge. Then maybe it's an opportunity to tap into that creative side of the brain. I, I, I used to give an example as a teacher. I'll, I'll come into a classroom and asked students a simple question. How many seconds are there in a year? How many seconds are there in a year? The logical side gets stuck. Then I will jokingly say, use the creative side. There are 12 seconds in a year. 12 seconds, uh-huh. It's 2nd of January, 2nd of February, 2nd ah. of March. You see, mm. now because you didn't think about that. You see what I mean? So somehow thinking positively created those juices it releases that creativity in us it takes care of dealing with selfishness self-sufficiency self-centeredness because when you started thinking positively about other people's need when you think about it and do something about it when you think about it you begin to thank god for what you have well david i have to say that you know there have been many studies as you know some very, very extensive over many years, you know, lasting over very many years, that famous Harvard longitudinal study that started um, decades ago. And what they have found is that they have kept in touch with all of these families and the generations that have participated. And of one of the most important questions is what makes for fulfillment in your life? What would you say have been the most important elements for happiness, if you like, in its broadest sense. And you know, there are two things that continually come up all the time in all of the studies. One is the importance of relationships, which doesn't yes. necessarily mean a relationship. What it just means is that you know that there are someone, you have a tribe, someone or something that has your back, that you don't feel completely alone in the world. And the other thing is just to highlight what you're talking about now, you know, in terms of giving, the thing that comes up for people who say that they have a sense of fulfillment, success and happiness in their life is the importance of giving. And so, you know, what we can say in a stretch is that when you're giving to other people of yourself, of your time, of your services, of your money, of your resources, of your concern, of your compassion or whatever, actually you're also giving to yourself. Because that line between giving and receiving becomes very blurred. You feel that you are worth something in the world. If someone can get something from you and you understand that you are able to offer to the world, can you imagine what that does to you? You grow yourself as well. So I'm not saying to people, give to get. I'm just saying, if you give, you will get. Yes, and you yes. talk about the revealing, you know, as, as this. So if we go back to that before we talk about the two last things, I was very interested in what you said about the four IR that you added on and the fact that this is revealing because you, you know, you say you're not a prophet, but now 
We have no choice in the epidemic. It is almost as if you predicted it, David. You did because, you know, now we have no choice but to embrace that technological and, you know, we we would not be communicating otherwise. Businesses would not be functioning otherwise. You spoke about that feeling of connection in places of worship. Well, if we don't have it physically, Let's try, and even with physical distance, does it still have to be social distance? So you are having to embrace, we all are, before I are. And it's almost as if you knew about it and you were preparing people for it before we had to. So are you saying that the people who recognized the importance of moving in this direction were more ready and more prepared and could pivot better and be more creative when this has hit us. What would you say about that? Unfortunately, it is true because I remember 2018, it was a big conference at Gallagher Estate. We hosted it. And then obviously the idea there was to say, most of us are BBT, born before technology. Mm. Some of us, (laughs) we've got technophobia. So the idea in 2018 was as organization, government, corporates, entrepreneurs, even as parents, let's begin to get these unemployed youth. Technology is easy for them. Let's begin government to spend extra amount of money because the fourth industrial revolution is here. It is the way to the future. Fortunately, those companies that embrace 4IR got some of these unemployed graduates begin to upskill and reskill their younger people. Today, this pandemic is hitting them, but they are really still doing well because this is the way to the future. Those people who did not embrace change, unfortunately today, they are suffering because right now, if you cannot see customers, if you cannot be able to do team buildings and things like that, and you've never used technology, you have a problem. If If you do not understand the internet of things, nanotechnology, Artificial, artificial intelligence, robotics, cryptocurrency. I mean, things are changing now. And unfortunately, a lot of our people, particularly in our country, South Africa, a lot of organizations, a lot of leaders, whether they're leading their entrepreneurs, leading both corporate and government are behind. And sadly, they are, they are feeling the heat of this uh, lack of IT skills in their lives with their people. So it's going to even be rougher because this is the new normal. I'm now doing a Zoom, I'm looking at you, and live is on audio. Again, that's the way to the future. I often don't admit it, but I have to tell you that my own technological skills and my generation, you very kindly left me out of that. I'm only learning now, I really am learning now not to be scared of it. And the fear comes from unfamiliarity. A lot of the programs are to do with understanding more sophisticated technology. Aren't there opportunities for new businesses where we recognize that there are generations who've been left behind and where we recognize that businesses, as you've been talking about, were not really prepared, you know, for this. And this hit them and they have to kind of mobilize that creativity and squeeze those creative juices out of them very, very quickly. But I mean, is there enough support in assisting people to kind of catch up and be with the program, would you say? Or is it an opportunity for businesses? It's an opportunity for businesses. I mean, remember, 
again, two, three years ago, when I was saying to South Africans, even your career guidance, you know, as parents, we need to understand what we call the careers of the future. No longer doctors and lawyers and nurses. We now need to talk about nanotechnologies, 3D technicians. And again, this is the way of the world. You can be in South Africa and begin to make money overseas. You are my sister now. Let me expose what I wanted to say to you privately. Now I'm saying publicly. The gift that you are to us, Madiba says that you give us hope. You know, you are more needed now via web webinars more than any time else in the world. So it's an opportunity for you. I know you've got to practice whatever, but imagine once a month, we're doing a webinar. The one that we just did two weeks ago. I mean, people are just needing the copy and the copy and the copy. And we can even now monetize it. Just $10 or $5. We have a million hit. That's $5 million. Dr. Malopo, I like how you think from lots of points of view, you know, really from lots of points of view, because I think one of the things that we are hearing all around, especially some colleagues of mine and people who make their living from speaking, you know, that's completely changed. You're not going to be invited to these large conferences and stand on platforms with hundreds of people watching you and charge high fees. You know, that isn't happening. There, there has to be a complete reinvention. And so people are really finding that companies aren't prepared to monetize some of what they had to offer in the same way. So it is a complete reinvention. From my point of view, I've considered quite a lot of it, in fact, a lot of it, as a service right now, because you speak about that hope, and that's a little bit of what I've been able to offer. Other people are offering different things. Some people are writing fat checks. Other people are offering skills in other ways or changing their manufacturing plants to develop masks or sanitizers or whatever. In that way, we're all coming together, but that isn't sustainable forever. As you say, we still have to run businesses going into the future, you know, and everybody recognizes that. So that's where that kind of creativity that you've been talking about. Let me make it practical for the listeners. The second, third, and fourth, we are celebrating the 20th I can leadership summit and dialogue. And one of our keynote speaker is my sister, Dr. D. Why am I pushing you on that one? Because there you've got the captains of industries, okay? In 28 countries, they'll be listening to you. I bet you, and I promise you, you're gonna be having a lot of invitations and you charge, you deal directly with them. You charge because you've got something to offer. Now suddenly your business model is changing. You can now be at home with your twins, having fun. All you do is one hour, two hours a day, you just speak. And remember my business, every voice, there's an invoice. Remember that. <laughs> so guys, you have just seen, I'm sorry, you have just seen a real live example or you have just heard an example of the creativity that, I mean, David Malapo started off in the beginning saying that he knows how to communicate. You have just seen that happening. He is seriously smart. You are well done for doing that <laughs> in front of everybody. He's managed to tell you about the summit, to involve me, and to make sure that there's an added, an added incentive at the end of it. Well, that was, that was fantastic. Thank you. Digital marketing. 60 seconds, all positive, 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 and also for you on a serious note. I want this gift called Dorian Dr. D to be exposed to uh, other platforms that they, they don't know you, the younger generations don't know you. So in that space, 
But then afterwards, do not be shy to monetize it. They're going to invite you. I don't need to be there. Dr. D, we want you to retain, coach us, mentor us. Guess what? Via technology, now you no longer have to be flying up and down, going through all these airports or whatever, but you can see exactly, you know? Well, everybody, you've all just been witnessed to a coaching session. So thank you very much. And it's been coaching for me and coaching for all of you as well. Let's move on because I don't want to run out of time before we finish the watch. We've done the, t the W, the A, the T. What about the C and the H? As a leader in difficult times, watch your words, your attitude, your thoughts. The letter C means the company you keep. I've realized in difficult times, you can succumb to stress, anxiety, and depression. And this is your space. A lot of people, unfortunately, commit suicide because they don't see their way out of the storm. It's all these storms in one place, the hurricane, the tornado, whatever. They cannot see any light, as you said, at the end of the tunnel. And it is important as a leader to take care of yourself. During these difficult times, you need a, a, a person, you need people so that you can be able just to share your frustrations, your anger, and all of those. You need people who believe in you. The problem in life is that there are three kinds of people. You've got the, what I call the friends of the past. Those people don't add value, particularly in difficult times, because they will always focus on the past, on the past, on the past. It is true you might have failed in the past. You might have made bad decisions in the past in business. But remember that the past is a point of reference, not a place of residence. The mm. past is a point of reference, not a place of residence. We all have a past. We all have skeletons. We all made bad decisions. You don't need a company of people to remind you of the past. The second kind of people in difficult times that you need to be careful of are the friends of the present. I've discovered in my life that there are certain people that are called my friends, but they are really friends with conditions. They like you, they love you as long as they can use you, as long as they can manipulate and exploit you. What am I saying? In difficult times, focus on the company that will make you to focus on the future, future friends. You need people who still believe in you, even when you don't believe in yourself. You need to have people who will speak well of you, even in your absence. You need people who will multiply and add to your life. That kind of company, Dr. D, it's important. In my personal space, and I'm not going to go too far, you have been one of that person. When I went through my personal space, in my, in my relationship, you know that, where you always spoke hope, spoke the future, and that is why I enjoyed being with you. So as a leader, watch the company you keep because relationships are like a lift. They can take you up or they can bring you down. In difficult times, hang around people who will propel you to the next level. Yes, you had promises of the future. Yes, you have used the business principles. Yes, yet the pandemic is a problem. But the problems, when you are surrounding yourself with a company that believes in you, these problems can propel you to promotion and to the future. Sure. Fantastic words of advice. The importance, again, of people who have your back. And then what about those? So the importance of that, self-compassion, ask for support and help yourself, for yourself if you need it, fill yourself up, allow yourself to say, I'm a card-carrying member of the human race, 
I also need support sometimes. Yes. That's very, very important. And what about the age? The age. So it's watch your words, your attitude, your thoughts that come to you. Keep. The age says watch your heart. Watch your heart. Your heart. Because in difficult times, you as a leader must have a heart that will generate, here's your word again, H-O-P-E, hope. H, your heart will be the one that will make you to have a positive outlook on life. Because when you become negative in difficult times, negativity will beget pessimism. And when you're pessimistic, anything that is positive, you'll paralyze it. So when you've got a heart, as long as you are alive, you can still breathe. Yes, you have made mistakes. When you fall, don't fall on your back. I mean, I mean, don't fall on your face, fall on your back. Because when you fall on your back, you can look up. When you can look up, you can get up because you have hope. H, have that positive outlook on life. It begins in your heart. But the letter O is your heart must have objectives. Realize that you may have to retool, reskill, upskill. Like I said, things are different now. So as long as you've got a heart, it's not a time to give up. Look for creative, innovative ways. Still, you can achieve that goal, achieve that objective. The letter P says, pursue excellence. You know, what you have taught us a couple of years ago at Dr. D is everything you do, do it with excellence. When I go sometimes to the shacks or to the informal settlement, you will find a shack, but you go into that shack, it's speak and span. People may not have much, but because they have a heart to survive, a heart to do better, a heart to be better, that pursuing excellence is in their DNA. And of course, the letter E, when you've got a good heart as a leader, it's always about enabling and equipping the next generation. Remember what you do for yourself is gone when you are gone, but what you do for the next generation, they're watching you, even in difficult times. What you do for them will leave a legacy, not a vacancy a legacy. Sure. I wish that I could write down all these incredible, you know, they're not just slick one-liners like some people have. They are really meaningful lessons, you know, that you have thought about and put across so well. And I just want to say that I wish that I knew everything that you say that I've taught you. I mean, listening to you and kind of growing in your presence, I really wish that I, I knew everything that you're attributing me to. So thank you very much for that. You know, it was Oscar Wilde who said that there are many people who lie in the gutter, but there are a few who lie on their back and still see the stars. So that is exactly what you're talking about. And in terms of optimism and pessimism, I have to just say that something that came out of my own life, because you mentioned the fact that I have twins, so, you know, when my twins were born, and actually it was against all odds, statistically, if you look at statistics, they were really not ever meant to be born. And I used to hear things that statistics show and face reality and be realistic. And I used to say, just listen to what you say, you know what? Reality isn't only statistics. It's also hopes and it's dreams and it's aspirations to a very large extent. And that was the hope that taught me to not give up. And when those twins were born, after a very long time, the statement that came out of that was, well, nobody knows enough to be a pessimist. And I think that is what you're saying to us. Nobody knows enough to be a pessimist. And how do you maintain that mindful, realistic optimism that is going to, together with a lot of support and self-care, 
and creativity and encouragement of other people help us navigate this to kind of step into the future, which we're going to help create, maybe even a little bit differently and in a better way than we've seen in the past. So I just want to thank you for all those words. I, you know, there's so much in what you've said. I'm sure that people who are listening to this are going to inhale and feel inspired by who you are and by everything that you say and then listen to it again. I'm just personally grateful and pleased that you've stepped back into my life and you're a gift to all of us. So thank you very, very much. Well, you're kind, Dr. Ian. Thank you so very much. Just a nice passing statement there that some people listening to this program might be going through some different nights, personal nights, relational night, financial night. But here's a nugget for you. Remember that sometimes you need a night to see the stars. Sometimes you need a night to see the stars. The stars are there with all their full glory and glamour. But sometimes it's when it's at night, when you look up, you realize that, you know what, even though I'm going through this difficulty as a leader, sometimes I need a night to see the stars. All I need to do is just to hang in there, believe in myself, be vulnerable, ask for coaching, mentoring people to help me, and never give up hope. Because as you know, quitters never win, and winners never quit. I can do my part, you can do your part together. Let us strive to lead effectively, even in difficult times. God bless. Dr. David Malapo, you are an international treasure. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. I'm Dorianne Wheel. Thanks for listening to Thrive with Dr. D, a Jackpot podcast.